0: Welcome back, everyone, to episode 10 of the Dice Pirates podcast, your doctor-recommended board gaming podcast. I'm your captain, Ian, joined by my cabin boy, Matt. How you doing, Matt?
1: Real good. Uh, Real excited. I don't know about being a cabin boy. Frankly, I don't know what the job entails, and I'd like a little bit of a detailed job description before I commit to that. I feel like that could go in a lot of different directions.
0: Um, Your job description is mostly going to be cleaning up the mess you've made from your past jobs. So you can go ahead and start fixing the ship and honestly rebuilding the ship because there's not much left of one.
1: I mean, I'll rebuild the ship, but when are we going to rebuild our trust?
0: You know, it's it's a long road to get there.
1: Uh, doctor recommended. I'm a little bit concerned about that disclaimer. I don't think the FDA has uh, investigated the ship thoroughly to know whether or not its claims of uh, wellness are, uh, you know, verifiable by science.
0: Well, you know, our ship's doctor, Dennis Pritzel, out of all one doctors that we pulled he recommended the podcast so i think i'm on safe ground here
1: one out of one doctors says it won't kill you
0: speaking of rebuilding trust before we get to our main discussion, we're going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons today. We actually got the chance to play a small game called Bluffeneers, and we want to do a small review of that before we get to our main topic. Matt, tell us about Bluffeneers.
1: First of all, uh, shout out to Big G Creative, and thank you to uh, them for sending us a copy of uh, Bluffeneers. What a perfect match of podcast and game, a pirate themed uh, game for a pirate themed uh, show. And we're real excited to get this in the mail, and i got to be Honesty, and this one, uh, I don't know how you felt about it, but this one really uh, surprised me. Uh, I just i didn't know what to expect, and it was a fun, small box game that uh, could be a party game, it could be uh, an, an intro game uh, for your game night. It's a really, really good one. The basic the basic mechanic of Bluffineers is bluffing. You are, on your turn, you're going to roll a set of bone dice, a really clever set of uh dice that are designed to look like a set of bones that are basically a pair of d4 with different symbols on uh the different faces of the bones and you toss these uh you toss the bones out on your turn and if the symbols uh displayed match uh your hidden card you score some gold but if they don't match then another one of the players around the table can claim that they match their card and you have to give them a gold However, of course, they could be bluffing. And so then you have to stare them in the eye and uh, decide whether or not you think they're telling the truth. If you call their bluff and you're wrong you end up having to give them two gold. And so there's this great risk-reward kind of mechanic there. And uh, literally, I think I've explained almost the entire uh, set of rules for Bluffin' There's uh, another fun mechanic where if you roll doubles at any time, certain events happen. Like you might have to, all the players might have to give you gold or something like that. But that's basically it. Roll the dice. Does it match your card? Nope. Does anyone else want to claim it matches theirs? And that's it. It is within those simple rules, it just was a huge uh, amount of fun uh we had a ton of laughs as we all tried to like bluff and call bluffs and uh get called out when we were lying or bust somebody when they thought you were lying but you were telling the truth the thing that makes this uh really kind of elevates it is i would say the components this is a really beautifully designed game uh it has obviously great uh, pirate-themed iconography and graphic design like you'd imagine, but then there's nice little touches, like even though they're cardboard doubloons, they have a great metallic sheen. And, uh, the, uh, you really can't say too much about how fun and innovative those little bone dice are. They're great to toss out onto the table. Uh, this, this little game, this little box game is under $10 is just under $10 at Target. And I think it's, uh, I think it's well worth a look if you are looking for a quick to play game that would be fun uh, with family or just a fun little thing to add into the rotation on game nights.
0: I have to agree, this is a surprisingly fun little game that you're really are just gonna enjoy playing. We actually played it twice the same night when we picked it up. It moves incredibly quickly. The way that the winning mechanic works is that if you somebody runs out of gold, then the game is over. So if you're in the lead, it behooves you to try and steal one person's gold. So there's like a, there is a sort of strategy to it and you can try and move the game pretty fast and everyone starts to run out of gold very quickly. So it actually plays really fun. Like you said, the component design and the theme definitely bring this up above where it would be normally. I mean, it is a fairly basic bluffing game. Do you have what was rolled? Do you not have what is rolled? But the component design 100% took this game from being just an average party game to something that I would happily play almost every game night.
1: Yeah, man. I just—I tell you what. I think there is room in everyone's collection for a quick-to-play game. Bluffaneers played in about 15 minutes with four, and that's just uh, that—that's pretty rare that you have a real fun time in 15 minutes, and it's the kind of game that leaves you wanting more. So, uh, yeah, I'd say give it a look if you're looking for, looking for a quick-to-play game to add to your rotation. Simple rules, fun design, fun theme. I would say give a look to Bluffaneer from Big G Creative.
0: Absolutely. Now. Normally we would go and we would do our soapbox, but I actually want to go ahead and play a game real quick Matt, are you up for playing a game with me?
1: I mean playing games is kind of our thing dude.
0: I guess I guess that is true I have spent a Surprising amount of time over the last couple weeks looking at some of the one-star reviews of board games
1: I know how much downtime you have and so I'm not surprised
0: I clearly have nothing else to do with my time at this point, and I've gone down a very dark place, and once you get past all the reviews that are really just, oh, I got, the, I got the box, and it was crushed when I got there, there are some very interesting reviews of people who completely missed the idea of the board game. I'd actually like to read you a couple reviews and see if you can guess the game that they're talking about.
1: So we're doing one-star review trivia. Uh, can we identify the game that someone had a real bad time with?
0: Alright, we're going to do two different games. I'm going to start with a review of this one. Let's see how you do. This game must be some kind of social marketing experiment. By the reviews and supposed demand, we reluctantly paid the exorbitant price tag and purchased this game. It is an enormous letdown. From the super complicated gameplay to the mediocre construction to the utterly boring nature of the game, it was all we can do to get through a single game. If you're a masochist, this is the perfect board game. If you seek fun quality family time, look elsewhere. If you're sleep deprived, play it solo and it may just be your ticket to a quality nap.
1: <laughs> That's harsh. Feels like something I would have said about Pendulum last week if I if I'm being honest. You know what I think that is? My my gut, my my gut is telling me that it's Gloomhaven.
0: Ooh, you are fair bit off the mark, actually.
1: Really? I was thinking like exorbitant price, weird social pressure to buy it. A fair bit off the mark, so not even like a, not a dungeon crawl fantasy themed game at all.
0: Not a dungeon crawl. All right, I got, I got a second review for you if you want me to uh, give you one that's a little more clear. No, track. I want to,
1: I want to, I want to get one more. Give me a hint. I want to guess this one.
0: Okay, let's see. Uh, it's a game that we consider to be well-designed component-wise. Be- gorgeous component design.
1: Oh, is it a uh, uh, bird bird facts the game wingspan
0: it is in fact wingspan bird facts the game
1: wow that's a harsh review for wings who hurt these people i mean <laughs> honestly i could see giving that review for gloomhaven because I, I could see somebody like hearing oh gloomhaven the probably is the best board game of all time and then buying it and getting in way over their head but i mean if nothing else G-Wing, uh wingspan is going to charm you with its art and you could always just, you know, take those eggs out and like pe- whip them at your kids or something. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could make, <laughs> there's a lot of ways that you could make uh, Wingspan fun for the family.
0: Yeah, I, I feel bad for this person because I think they really missed out on the chance to have a good time with this game. I have another one for you here. All right, new game, just awful, boring, overcomplicated, slow play, and there isn't a winner. Catching COVID is more fun than playing this game. Seriously, just watch a YouTube on how to play, and I guarantee you will be fast asleep.
1: Dang, catching COVID
0: is more fun than playing this. It's a real, real harsh one on this one. They did not like this game.
1: Boring, and there's not a winner. Is that was one of the criticisms?
0: That is one of the. That is one of the criticisms.
1: So this is some kind of co-op game, I guess, right?
0: Some kind of co-op game, yes.
1: Wait, is this one Gloomhaven?
0: This is not Gloomhaven. <laughs> okay. <It's> not Gloomhaven. <laughs>
1: i'm gonna always guess gloomhaven somebody out there had
0: to somebody will eventually we'll get to gloomhaven at some point
1: give me give me one more hint and i'll bet i can guess it
0: Oh, I'll give you one more hint okay i don't want to give this one away too much um uh, i'm just gonna read you a, i'm gonna read you a second review because i think that'll help a little bit before i don't give something too much all right okay bought it for game night at my house in seattle it was stressful to learn stressful to play In the end, we ran out of player cards while several cities were dying from various viruses, including COVID-19. So we lost, and the world died. I think everyone was further stressed out by the end. Also, under our dim incandescent colored lights, it was hard to differentiate blue from black veery and blue from green meeples. I might wait till this COVID-19 thing blows over and everything is normal again.
1: Oh, so this is definitely Pandemic or Pandemic Legacy or something.
0: It is, in fact, Pandemic, and maybe not the game of choice during an actual pandemic
1: i can see it being a bit of a bummer uh although our our buddy dennis just played it uh he played played all of pandemic legacy season one in the middle of this uh, craziness uh i don't know how you get into playing pandemic legacy and don't realize that it's co-op and not a winner it pretty much says that like all over the box on every single part of the packaging when you read the instructions like you sort of know what you're getting into okay wow bitter board gamers that's what we're gonna call uh this new segment by the way
0: bitter board gamers some people who really missed out on the point of these games that makes me sad
1: you know how these people could have avoided the sad fate ian
0: how could they've avoided the sad fate
1: they could have been listening to dice pirates and we would have given them all the dope recommendations on the games they should have been playing
0: we will let them know what the what they should have played if they wanted to get into the hobby. Going back and listen to us some of our old episodes would have been great.
1: We're trying to help the people again.
0: We're only doing a public service. Now we are gonna go ahead and move on to our main topic of discussion. We're gonna be talking about Dungeons and Dragons this week. We're excited about that one, so we're gonna go and take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: all right and welcome back to the dice pirates where we're going to dive into our main topic today which is dungeons and dragons this is uh something that ian and i have been learning to play together really over the last few years it has quickly become i think one of my favorite things to do around a table uh in addition to the many board games that we play and i wanted us to take a minute to kind of talk about what dungeons and dragons is if you are uh even if you have never played a tabletop game in your life you have heard of dungeons and dragons it's bigger than just a game it's an entire kind of genre in people's minds of of nerdiness and geekdom you've seen it in shows and movies and uh it's something that we're all kind of vaguely familiar with, but if, if you've never played it, it might seem uh, strange. So I kind of wanted to take a moment to explain uh, what it is, demystify it, share a little bit about our experiences playing it, and also give some tips on how to get started if you have never taken a plunge into the world of tabletop role-playing games. So uh, I guess to kick it off, I'm just going to ask you, Ian, what what was your background playing uh, Dungeons and & Dragons? And like, how did you get into the hobby?
0: So, really, when we decided to get into the hobby, you had had a couple sessions that you played with another group, and it was something that, I, I don't remember exactly why, I just had been really interested in getting into it. Wizards of the Coast, the group that releases and publishes Dungeons & Dragons, within the last you know several years released their fifth edition, which was kind of a, a revamping of the rules of Dungeons and Dragons. They do this occasionally, and this newer one was uh, more designed around the idea of making it accessible to new players. And it's always been something that I've been interested in because I like the idea of the open-ended gameplay, sort of this group storytelling. And so I remember I just asked you, I said, hey, you know, would you be interested in playing a game with us? And you offered to be the Dungeon Master, and I, rounded a few friends up and we just decided to jump into it with very little preparation whatsoever. You had had only a couple sessions you'd played before. I hadn't played any. We decided to just jump in complete beginners. And I mean, if that doesn't say something for, you know, how simple it is to get into, I don't don't know what will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was probably overly ambitious. I had, you're exactly right. I had played uh, about two, maybe three sessions of Dungeons and Dragons as a player when you uh, express some interest in pulling a group together and uh, Asked if I would DM the group Dungeon uh, be sort of the the moderator the game master for those sessions And I just went for it because, honestly, uh, of the two things, playing or dungeon mastering uh, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, I actually really love being the DM. Because I love the collaborative storytelling feel. Uh, And so I just jumped at the chance to do it. And you're right. I mean, we learned as we played. And that's why I thought we'd have some tips on... Kind of what that experience is like coming into it as new players. My background with the game is, uh, you know, I'm a uh, I'm a, I'm a man of uh, 40 years uh, on this earth, and so I grew up in the height of the satanic panic in the 80s when Dungeons and Dragons was uh, this foreboding evil thing. And I spent many years uh, had did not play it growing up as a kid, and spent many years thinking of it as this like strange uh, taboo that just was maybe a little dangerous. And of course, as I got older, I was like, okay, now I actually really want to play it. I think actually. Actually, the Dungeons & Dragons boom that we're having right now is a result of like 30-somethings and 40-somethings who were banned from playing it with their kids, who are more into it now entirely because of that. Just an interesting social uh, thought that I have, that this is all still just a reaction from the Satanic Panic of the 80s. But Dungeons & Dragons was always in the periphery of something that I wanted to try to do, because I love fantasy. If anybody that knows me knows that uh, uh, Matt loves some wizards and magic and swords. I love any kind of book, movie, game that has to do with that genre. We did a whole episode on dungeon crawls. And so Dungeons & Dragons was a perfect fit for my interest, and the thing that really pushed me over like wanting to play it was actually podcasts. One of the things that's happened alongside the rise of popularity of 5th edition is the rise in actual play podcasts. There's so many great podcasts where you can listen to groups of gamers playing live sessions and get a feel for how the game works. And not just how the game plays, but how the idea of a group of people telling a story collaboratively together can be really, really fun. And so actually my first tip right here at the beginning would be if you're thinking about playing dungeons and dragons and you've never played it in your life or you want to learn more about it but you don't know anybody in your area that are that is into it a good place to start and see if this hobby is for you is actually to listen to an actual play podcast kind of the the gold standard for it is probably the adventure zone from the McElroy brothers uh the first season of that is a little more of a traditional dungeons and dragons play experience but there are a ton of really great ones out there, from Not Another d and Podcast to uh, the Glass Cannon Podcast, which I think that actually might be a Pathfinder podcast, to uh, a million others. Uh, all you have to search is for, is for Dungeons & Dragons on the Apple Store, and you're going to find a bunch of selections of people playing d and um, One of the ones that I listened to early on that I'm not even sure if they're still playing anymore is uh, Bored With Life's Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Yeah, another one that I'll mention is Critical Role. I might put a list of a few recommendations when we post this on Instagram. But not to belabor the point, some of these podcasts are a great way to get a feel. And so that's actually how I learned how to play the game. So I had very little learning curve. Once I sat down to play, I actually kind of had the rhythm in my head of responding to the DM as a player with creative solutions to problems and rolling the dice. I was familiar with a lot of the terms. And when it came time to DM, I felt like I had a good sense of like how to move the story along because I'd listened to all of these great Dungeon maps on these podcasts, like weaving together narratives. So that's probably my first tip. I think podcasts are a great starting point.
0: Podcasts are a great way to get the feel for the flow of a game and what it sounds like when people are working together to build this story. And I think that's one of the biggest selling points of Dungeons and Dragons is just that it is a group effort. This is not a story that you're telling by yourself. This is not you trying to build your own story, working against everybody else. When Dungeons & Dragons is at its best, it is a large group of people that are working together to build this fantastical adventure. You're building this in cooperation with each other. And there's a lot of different styles, and that's one of the great things about Dungeons & Dragons as well, is that if you're a very rules-minded person, if you like tactical strategy, if you really like focusing on just the most powerful you can make your character, you can do that too. There are rule sets within there. You can build just the most strong character you can find. You can focus more on just the, you know, moment-to-moment gameplay. But if you also just enjoy something that's a little more open-ended, something that's not so strict, that's that too. Matt and I currently play in two different campaigns, one, of course, which he is the DM, one we play together. And the two campaigns could hardly be more different. In the one group, we have people who still... I think two years in, are not fully aware of all the mechanics of the way the game works, but we still have a great time because we don't focus as hard on every bit of minutia of the rules. And for us, it's a lot more about the role-playing, the character interactions, how our characters are approaching things. Whereas in our other campaign, we have a lot of these you know, power gamers, people who have completely min-maxed their characters. One guy made his character unable to speak so that he could make his character more powerful and stronger. So there's a lot of options for you and that's one of the best parts about is if you can find a group that matches your play style and you will be able to find one if you look hard enough you can really get into a groove with this game and there's no set way on how to play
1: yeah the to explain a little more now I guess of how D&D works if you never played it it actually kind of stretches the definition of what a game is in some respects it's a hybrid of uh, collaborative storytelling and gameplay, and a rule system that brings it all together. The basic rhythm of the game is that uh, one player will serve as a dungeon master, and they'll narrate for you a scene and tell you what's going on. You're sitting at the bar and a mysterious stranger sits down beside you. You're uh, walking through a forest and a goblin jumps out from behind a tree. And then once they've kind of set the stage for what's happening, they'll prompt you with, and what do you do? And then you can really be free at that point to do whatever you want, not really bound by any traditional sense of, like, actions in a board game. You can respond to those situations with anything that feels right to you or, more importantly, feels right to the character you're trying to play. So you could obviously try to whack that goblin with a stick that jumped out from behind a tree, but you could just as easily talk to him or run away or try to disappear or play a trick or... Pull out a deck of cards and challenge them to a a game of uh, of poker. Whatever uh, feels right to you in the moment, you can try to do. And the Dungeon Master will then resolve that using the rules of the game. Most of the time, you'll roll that classic big chunky D20 and add any relevant modifiers you have based on your skills. And if you succeed, the story moves in one direction. If it fails, you move in another. And that sense of unpredictability and the fact that the dice are this kind of X-factor that are pulling the story along in an unexpected way is really what makes the game so exciting. There's no really uh, winning or losing in a traditional sense in Dungeons & Dragons. Even if an encounter fails, it may only uh, create more opportunities for the story to go in directions that nobody expected. And a dungeon master can carefully and meticulously plan out all of these story moments that they want to explore only to have it go in an insane and totally different direction based on the choices the players make so that tension and that push and pull of like the players making decisions the dice messing things up or moving it all of that contributes to the fun and the unpredictability of playing dungeons and dragons
0: I also very much enjoy the progression of the game, and if you are willing to commit yourself and play multiple sessions, potentially even longer depending on how quickly you're going to level your character up, there's a real power fantasy there, because as your character levels up, you become exponentially stronger if you can cast spells, you can do crazy things. We had a character who turned himself into a giant squid during a battle in the water just because he could and so he was able to do that we have characters who can make like five attacks a turn and they're just doing massive damage so the you know as the game goes on you're going to have these moments where you realize just how crazy your character has gotten and that's a really fun experience too because that's one of the things that is very fun about rpgs for sure you know you're playing skyrim and once you get you know to that certain point you're going back through these lower level areas and you're like oh yeah no i'm I'm awesome now, you know, I am the, the legendary hero, and this game gives you the chance to not only play that legendary hero, but in a way to get to be that legendary hero. So I think D&D is a very fun game to get into if you enjoy that, you know, imaginary theater.
1: I like how you are uh, just moving along here and acting like you weren't the person who turned yourself into a giant squid in the middle of a game. Uh, you, just, you just glossed right by that. Like, we had a player who turned himself into a giant squid. Ian, that was you, and it was amazing. You should be
0: more proud of that. I didn't, I didn't want to brag. I, I was pretty happy with that. I thought that was pretty fun. And it's just one of those moments where you can just, you know, you're trying to figure out what to do, and it hits you, and you're like, Oh, I'm going to do something completely outside of the box.
1: Actually, it's a great example. I kind of want to drill in on that because that's a great example of how Dungeons and Dragons works as both game and story. Like, just kind of in a nutshell. So we're basically. What was happening there is we were playing, uh, this is this is the, the campaign where uh, Ian and I are both players in it, not the one that I DM. The scenario here was that there was a boat that was being attacked by some giant uh, sea monsters, and they were rocking the boat and trying to flip it over, and sailors were falling off into the sea. So that was actually uh, written into the scenario. That's kind of the challenge that the game designers wanted the players to have to navigate. But once you've given that challenge to a group of players, how they solve it, how they choose to solve it, is the possibilities are endless because of how malleable the game is. It's not like a traditional board game. Like, imagine playing a board game that was kind of that same thing, and it would be like, move to that space and take the rescue action or something, or like play a rescue sailor card. But instead, you're free to think creatively. Like, okay, with all the tools in my tool chest as a player and all the creativity I have, how can I save these players? And so uh, Ian was like, Turned his character into a giant squid, which was no one expected. And so he's lifting uh, sailors up out of the water. But now that's a new challenge that the DM has to navigate. Like, okay, what do I do with this giant squid? How do I respond to the players? That unpredictability, that push and pull, is what makes it so special. And it's why I kind of love to be the DM even more than I like to play, because I just love that moment when I realize my players have taken this in a totally different direction.
0: I do want to ask you about that just a little bit is not having that past to kind of draw on jumping right into the dungeon master side of things and just kind of orchestrating the story. Did you feel like that was difficult to jump into? Would you recommend people do that if they do have a group of players that they want to just start playing with? You know, how easy is it to just start running a campaign like that?
1: Well, I would say realistically you should play a few sessions. I probably played fewer sessions before becoming a dm than some people do but i think it worked for me just for two reasons one uh before we ever started playing the uh dungeons and dragons i had probably listened to 200 more hours of Dungeons and dragons podcast so i had my head kind of full up of a lot of information about the game i understood things about dungeons and dragons like how dice rolls work and how initiative works and how Some of the minutiae that we're not really getting into in this discussion. But I sort of knew all of that just from listening to shows that talked about it. It was also, I think, a better fit for me to just be the DM than maybe most just because I tell stories, you know, is kind of what I do in my life. Uh, I write some fiction on the side, but I've also been a newspaper reporter and I do communications work. So telling stories, being creative, thinking on my feet is sort of like my professional background.
0: And anybody who has listened to this podcast for any amount of time knows that story above anything else is kind of your biggest thing.
1: Right. So I felt really uh, comfortable uh, jumping into that DM role like earlier than the most. And uh, that's just, I think, because I, I, th- I think I'm well suited for it. I think we're having a good time when I do it. But I do think you need to have at least played a few times because you do need to get a sense before you try to DM, you need to know what it's like to play and what the experience is like for a player. Because one of the things you need to keep in mind as a DM is that you're not actually an adversary to the players necessarily. You are uh, trying to present challenges for them, but I think you want to empower them as well. And so you kind of need to know what it feels like to be up against a challenge and like the types of things your players want to do. I always try to give the players an opportunity to do something amazing so that everyone kind of has that moment where the camera focuses on them, that hero moment in a story. And I try to make sure in every session that we play that every hero gets a moment where the the camera kind of comes in focus on them and they get to do something really cool and special. So they have something to remember when they leave the table. And that's something I think that uh, will make everyone want to come back the next week.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that about you as a Dungeon Master is the emphasis on the personal stories that everybody has developed over time. And of course, you know, that's not everybody's way of playing the game. Some people really like to get really into the rules. They really like kind of the adversarial approach. Some people prefer, especially in some of the harder campaigns, okay, I you know, I want there to be chances that my character could die. I want this to be a very kind of crunchy experience. And that's what I do love about this, is that there are so many ways of approaching it, depending on the kind of players you have and... As a player, especially a new player, if you can find a Dungeon Master who's willing to work with you and kind of you know, build that trust with that person, you can come up with some really fun moments.
1: Yeah, I think this is a good time now to kind of talk about the some tips on getting started and some things you want to think about. So what do you need to get started playing Dungeons & Dragons? Well, you need very little. And I think one of the first things I would say about Dungeons & Dragons that makes it very special amongst all the hobby games you can play is that the cost of entry and the barrier to entry is actually really low. You can, in fact... Get a group together and be up and playing for nothing. Uh, if you go to dndbeyond.com, you can download the core rules, which is enough to get a few characters going and get you playing. You can download the core rules totally for free. And if you search on the site, you can actually find some campaigns that people have uploaded or added that are free. That can Some of them are Maybe not campaigns, but just like single dungeons or modules. But you could actually put together uh, enough materials to be up and playing uh, tomorrow with uh, no real cost, other than you need a set of role-playing uh, polyhedral dice. You need that classic set of like a D20, D8, D6, D4, blah, blah blah blah. You can order a set of those off Amazon for pretty cheap. You actually can order uh, multiple sets enough for a group for you know ten or fifteen dollars, and so you could be up and playing for almost nothing and that's actually all you need you don't need miniatures you don't need a playing mat of any kind now you may find that those things uh, are right for your group but the cost of entry is actually super low
0: there are also like dice rolling apps that are completely free to download if you don't have either the space or you just don't want to spend a little bit of money on the dice themselves you can download those completely free they're perfectly useful they are completely fine and if you are playing in various areas like roll 20 which is an online version of dungeons and dragons that provides like maps that you can use it has like a call feature that has dice rolling built into it as well so if you're playing potentially online as opposed to in person you have even fewer requirements to get into it. it's like you said it's very easy to get into the barrier for entry is very low and really the biggest barrier for entry is just finding that group to play with
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the hardest challenge is finding a group of players to play it. Uh, some of the online services like roll 20 or even D and D beyonds forum can be a great way to find players. If you're willing to play online with folks that you don't know in real life, if you're just in a place where you just can't find like-minded folks. But if you have a board gaming group and uh you're looking for something different i would say maybe pitch trying out DD. uh even if you just do a one-off night just to get a feel for it just do a simple dungeon together you can download a map and come up with a scenario and just play through it together you might find that this is something that you want to do more or there may be some members of the group who want to do it and some who don't but i would say give it a try uh once you have started up in DD, and again really all you need is the basic core rules which you can get for free you need uh and then some type of a scenario to play or make up your own but once you have started in it you're going to want to then invest in a few extra things you'll need the full player's handbook at some point to really kind of expand uh the types of things you can do with your character in terms of leveling up and making different types of characters somebody will need a dungeon master's guide which will explain in much more detail about how the game works and give you lots of resources and tables and things to draw from and you'll need a monster manual. Those three books are really kind of it in terms of like things you absolutely must need. Uh, but from there, I do really like the various uh, scenario books that uh, Wizards publishes. Even though I love to make up stories, I don't. I've never actually written a total campaign from scratch. I, I like to just draw from some of their published materials and then adapt. Just because the things that I'm not good at, even though I like to tell stories, the things I'm not good at are like designing thoughtful like monster encounters or puzzles and things you know the types of stuff that you need a real game designer to think through so i like having pre-programmed puzzles encounters and things and then i can kind of weave the narrative around it i've actually greatly customized story-wise all of the stuff that we've done together as a group ian but when it comes down to like fight or do anything that's actually like a quote-unquote game component that's usually like Straight out of the book, because I'm not a game designer, and I certainly don't know how to design a thoughtful like puzzle or anything like that. So,
0: there is fortunately, like you said, a absolute wealth of things that are available from just resources, there are lots of guides for if you don't know how to build your character, if you don't know what you're doing, people will give you the best spells to choose, the best backgrounds to choose, because that can be a little bit daunting. One of the best things to have is a pre-made character the first time you start off. So you can say, okay, here's my character, I'll focus on what I need, and then the next time you can maybe go ahead and build your own character based on what you liked or didn't like off of that first character. Like you said, you know, there are online forums, there are places to go, where you can find groups if you don't have a group that's ready-made for you. One of the biggest things to make sure you're paying attention to is what the group is emphasizing. One of the big things to make sure that you do is a session zero, as it's called, which is where you establish your expectations for the game and making sure that the people you're playing with are going to be playing this the kind of game you want to play. Of course, you know, because it's a game that is entirely focused around storytelling and especially a game that is purely in interactions with other players, making sure that the people you're playing with are people you're willing to spend that time around is going to be important. And I think if you can bring a friend into it, that's going to be really big because you're going to make sure you have somebody there that you can bounce off of. It's going to make the role-playing side of things much, much easier. And if you don't want to invest the time, like you said, there are things called one-shots, which are generally able to be played in just a couple hours. You can play them in four or five hours, maybe two sessions at max. And so it gives you a real quick dip into the game the way it works and you can get out and if you didn't like it you can always step away but it gives you a nice entry into a lot of these games
1: yeah i think that a session zero is a great tip and that's another one that i wanted to make sure we touched on tonight so i'm glad you brought it up we actually didn't do a session zero when we started but if i were going to be reforming another D D group in the future or even when we go into a new campaign i will probably have something like that because you can talk about things like your approach as a game master how you're going to run it and what the players are looking for and one of the things you'll probably want to talk about in a session zero is whether or not you want to use uh miniatures and game mats to kind of make a more tactile experience that's something that i think is kind of a big uh choice you have to make in a game group is like how much you want to use like components uh you can play uh d entirely in a theater of the mind And that's sort of my preferred approach because I came into it from podcasts like we talked about. So it's already kind of a narrative experience for me, uh, describing the scene and everyone just kind of figuring out how it looks in their own mind and kind of figuring out the, the space. But you can just as easily use uh, some graph paper or a whiteboard type surface to create maps and spaces to play on. Or you could even spend as much money as you want on elaborate like dungeon tiles and scenery. You can create a tactile space and people can use miniatures. Uh, very nice high quality ones that they purchase or just you know placeholder pieces from around to then define the play space a little more. Using miniatures and maps is I got to admit, even though it's not my preferred way to play, that's much more helpful if you want the combat in D&D to be the focus and you want it to feel more like a true tactical combat game. I mean, the rules for fighting in the game are so in-depth that if you wanted it to almost feel like a tactical miniature combat game, it absolutely can. You can have all the monsters and heroes out and everyone's really putting a lot of thought into movement and position and range. When you play theater of the mind some of those things like how far away that goblin is gets all very muddy and often as a dm when we play when we have combat i pretty much just smush the encounter into like melee range even if it is at range, and you like go to shoot at that goblin, I, I'm just gonna say, he, yeah, he's in the range of your bow because like I don't really like care to have to think about like exactly how far that goblin is and how far you have to move to hit him and all that jazz. It gets very abstract. So the tactical miniature approach can be really helpful if you want the combat to be a little more true to the rules. Uh, the downside is just. In my mind the downside to the miniatures approach is it does make it feel more like a board game and i've noticed in the groups that we play in and when we've used miniatures people do tend to like think about their moves in a more board gamey way like they're just like move attack move attack versus when there's no board in front of them and anything's possible people tend to do more like abstract stuff like instead of just like I move and hit that goblin with my sword. It's like, I want to jump up on uh, the chandelier and swing and kick him like Jack Sparrow and then like swing down. And You know, when the play space is in your mind, you all of a sudden start thinking about the game in a more cinematic way.
0: Yeah, for instance, when we were playing during one session, we were fighting in a windmill, and my wife decided that she was going to grab these two kids we were trying to rescue. And instead of running past all the monsters, she knocked a hole in the wall, jumped on the spinning windmills, and rode them all the way to the ground and made a a daring escape which is something that were we playing in the confines of a map maybe would have been it, it just it narrows the perspective a little bit and maybe that's good for you if that's what you want to do and go for it but like we've said over and over again that's definitely one of the best things is that you can build the game the way you want and i think starting to like come to a close here i think that's the biggest selling point of dungeons and dragons in general is that. It's a group event. The focus of Dungeons & Dragons is on everybody having a good time with it. The goal is not for one person to win and everybody else to lose. And that's really what separates from a lot of board games especially is there's no competition inherent in the game itself you can create competition through the stories you tell but at the base idea what dungeons or dragons should be at its absolute best is everybody working together and helping each other to create this story and these moments that they can really enjoy yeah
1: i mean that's definitely my approach but like i said it could be anything you want but for me the joy i have as a dungeon master is really trying to see what i feel like the players are trying to do with their character and in this moment and making it happen and actually the thing about the windmill is actually a great example of how the improvisational nature of the game and how it kind of all kind of comes together sometimes. because technically if we were playing on like a map and we were like going by the absolute rules for how that windmill was laid out the blades of the windmill weren't necessarily like on the side where she was trying to jump out this was your uh, wonderful uh wife tori trying to uh, do this maneuver so if i really wanted to be kind of like a jerk dm i could have just been like no you can't do that because the blades are actually on the other side of the building and there's no access point there so you can't do that But as soon as she started describing wanting to, like, bust a hole in the side of this building and jump out and grab the blades, I was like, yeah, you can definitely see the blades. Like, I just am like, yes, this is happening because I want this to happen because it's so cool. And uh, I think I even, like, came up with some kind of elaborate way that she could roll twice because she failed on the first roll. It just wasn't enough to, in my mind, justify grabbing uh, the blades. I would set the... I set the difficulty check on this was like a dexterity 15 to try to grab them. And I think the first attempt she failed. So she was falling. So I was like, Oh, okay, you're falling. But there's like one more set of blades coming by. This is your last chance. I gave it like one last chance. And then she grabbed them and it was like, yes. And so she grabbed the blades, the windmill lowered her down and she was able to save herself and these two kids. And so that moment was just like, so perfect. But on the other hand, there's a point as the DM where you have to let your players fail. So if that second roll had not, worked i would have been like okay you just fall and then i didn't know what was going to (laughs) happen so but i love that because it was very much just like a combination of the players on innovation coming up with this idea me as a dm figuring out a way to make it happen but then still just letting the dice decide is this gonna succeed or not and that tension to me is like the essence of dnt
0: you're 100 right the tension involved is definitely one of the things that makes Dungeons and Dragons what it is because you're not just saying what's happened if you ever listen to a group of kids you know pretending and imagining they're just you know oh and then I and then I do this and then I do that and it's not you know it's not exactly that you still get to come up with things but there's some fun tension in deciding okay well is it going to succeed is there this chance I fail and that actually gamifies it so overall you know not to belabor too many points because you know I I think we just want to kind of do an overview but I I really think that. If it's something that you've thought about, if it's something you've ever considered, then you should definitely try and give it a shot.
1: Once you scratch the surface and uh, start playing Dungeons and Dragons, if you like it, the world of tabletop role-playing is actually much bigger than Dungeons & Dragons. That's really just kind of the first stop in a uh, giant mall of fun. There are other uh, types of role-playing systems, like Pathfinder or Dungeon World or Dungeon Crawl Classics, if you want something that's more in the old-school 70s way. There's books like Fiasco or Burning Wheel or, I mean, the list goes on and on. Once you get into this idea of like narrative, collaborative storytelling experiences, the possibilities for fun and uh, for your group are endless. And not all of them are in fantasy settings. You can go to space. You can do almost anything you want in this framework. The final thing that I would say too is if you're looking for a way to get started, uh, I strongly recommend just picking up the original 5e starter set. Wizards has come out with a, a second edition of the starter set of sorts called the Dragons of Spire Peak. And I, had, I don't have any experience with that. It's actually a little pricey. I've looked at it. Not pricey compared to most board games, but it's pricier than the original starter set because they packed it in with components like cards and uh, little components that make it more board gamey. I don't think you need all that, although I will say if you're a board game group and you want something that's closer to a board game experience, this new starter set that has all these uh, tactile pieces might be uh, more your speed. However, the original 5e starter set that came with a scenario called the Lost Minds of Fandelver is honestly dirt cheap. You get it for under $20 on Amazon now, I feel certain, or... Not too much uh, above 20, and the Lost Mines of Phandelver is a short campaign for like levels one through five that honestly we made last a whole year. <laughs> it's there's enough material in there and enough opportunities to customize it as a DM that we played for a solid year on the original starter set campaign, and it's great and it's full of all the classic Dungeons and Dragons tropes: goblins, mines, creepy uh, caverns full of danger, orcs. Anything that you want to do, all the things that, all, all the greatest hits of Dungeons & Dragons are in that. And, of course, a dragon if you can uh, find the dragon and you want to try to kill it. So, yeah, Dungeons & Dragons, ton of fun. I think it's a great extension of the tabletop hobby if you're not already doing it.
0: Absolutely. The starter set is, right now on Amazon, less than $15. Super easy to get into. If you have any interest in it, I'll definitely pick it up. I think you'll have a good time. And that is our discussion on kind of a primer to Dungeons & Dragons, if you're interested in getting into the hobby. Matt, we made it into double-digit episodes. Can you believe we're still around?
1: I keep thinking they're going to cancel us, like the podcast board or the podcast uh, you know, directors somewhere. There's got to be a governing body that's observing this. Uh, but uh, but apparently we're doing fine, and they're letting us keep doing it. So
0: Well, I, I keep ignoring all their emails. Maybe I should actually read those at some point. They keep saying ominous things like, we're coming for you, and stop or else but that's not important right
1: uh no are you sure those are from the podcast board i think we might need to take a look at this It's not good
0: anyways we're excited to continue to bring you more board gaming topics as we move forward thank you so much for sticking with us all this time matt where can people get in touch with us
1: you can find us on Instagram at DicePyrus. That's our uh, main uh, hangout. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, but uh, Instagram's our main jam. We post content all throughout the week. Lots of uh, like mini-reviews and thoughts on games we're playing. I'm a big fan of a random gif or two on the Instagram story, and we'd love to hear from you. Follow us, comment on our posts, send us a message. Come hang out with us there in the virtual world.
0: We'd love to get to hear from you. If you enjoyed this, follow us on iTunes, give us a like, just reach out to us, let us know what you think, and we can't wait to hear from you. We're going to be back next time with more board gaming discussion here on the Dice Pirates.
1: See ya!